All right. Good evening. It's good to see all of you here. Well, I've been asked to speak tonight in regards to the family. After all, this is a family fellowship service, so it uh, would stand a reason that that would be a good thing to teach on. Um, so, here we go. As we survey the family, I think, again, we see, especially the family here in America, we see that the family is really under severe attack. I mean, all you got to do is take a look at the, the census numbers, and we see uh, time and time again the traditional family just continues to erode. And, you know, all of that is, uh, there's various reasons behind that. Some things, you know, you can't help the numbers being affected. But when you look at right now that something like one in five families now consists of a traditional father-mother-child structure, it shows you that the family unit as the Bible describes it and as the Bible defines it is hurting. It is being ripped apart. Families are struggling. And the family unit is a mere shell of its former self. And, you know, there are many reasons for this. But I think a key reason for the breakdown of the family really comes down to this. Fewer and fewer people truly believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. For many, there is no such thing as objective or absolute truth. In an article entitled Absolute Truth, the author writes this, says, whatever happened to the truth? In our world, the idea of ultimate truth, something that is true at all times and all places and has relevance for our lives, is about as extinct as the dinosaur. In fact, nearly three out of four Americans say there is no such thing as ultimate or absolute truth. And the numbers don't look much better among those who claim to follow Jesus Christ. In a society where ultimate truth is treated like a fairy tale, an outdated idea, or even an insult to human intelligence, the motto of the day becomes, whatever. Believe whatever you want. Do whatever seems best to you. Live for whatever brings you pleasure, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. And of course, be tolerant. Don't try to tell anyone that their whatever is wrong. You see, absolute truth has indeed fallen on hard times. This slippery slope has caused many a family to fall into the pits of chaos, confusion, and emptiness. In fact, many in our society have brought it into the, have bought into the lie that there is no objective standard of truth that can be determined. In their minds, really, truth varies from individual to individual, from circumstance to circumstance. And this view, though, brothers and sisters, is in direct opposition to what the Bible teaches. James 1, 16 through 18 tells us this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. You know, I just wrapped up a study in our children's church about the Bible. And in it, we talked a lot about how God's word is true. 
and it needs to govern everything that we do. It is the absolute authority behind everything that you and I do, including how we work in our families. God's word is to be the standard in which everything we do in this life is brought back to. His word is the one that we must seek to obey and to follow. It's not whatever we think. It is the word of God, and we need to come back and we need to follow it. And you know, the Bible has much to say about how you and I are to live this life that God has given us. The Bible has a lot to say about how you and I are to bring up our families, how we are to raise our children that he has given to us. And so tonight I thought it might be helpful to share with you some thoughts as to what it takes to be a biblically guided parent. I've even put together a a cute little acrostic, worked long and hard to uh, help you to remember five essential actions that we'll be looking at. Actions that will hopefully aid you in the guiding of your children through the various pitfalls and snares of this life. And the acrostic that we'll be using will actually spell out the word guide. Okay, it will spell out the word guide. And, and again, it's going to give us five actions. And these five actions are by no means the end all. It's not some magic formula. But I think it gives us a good start to help us to be the type of parents that God calls us to be. So whether you are a parent now, a grandparent, or a parent-to-be, hopefully this will be something that you can kind of come back to often to understand the role that God calls you to do as a parent. Now the first action that you must seek to practice in order to effectively guide your children will be the act of governing. That will start with our G, governing. This is something that is to be done in an effort to lead our children to the foot of the cross. Through this act of leadership, you must always remember that God has not called you to be your child's best friend. I am amazed at how many parents just want to be their kids' friends. They just want to hang out with their kids. And you know, as your kids get older, that's fine. But you know what? Your five or six-year-old shouldn't be your best buddy. You're a parent. You need to be their parent. And being their best friend is not the best thing for them. God has not called you to be a buddy to your child. He's called you to be a parent. Being a parent is a position of authority. It means that when you tell your child to do something, they need to do it. You are the authority figure in their life. You are the one that God has sovereignly placed over them to lead and to guide them. This is what it means to be a parent. It puts, the, it puts in place the familial hierarchy whereby the father is the leader of the entire family. The mother is the helpmate that supports the father and acts in his, in his place when he's not there. The child is the one who is to obey the mother and the father. The child is the one that is to be trained up in the way that he should go. And of those who have been put in a position of leadership as a parent... We must ensure that we are not governing those that are under our authority in a harsh or a dictator type of a way, but rather we are to govern them as loving shepherds. You know, there's a certain tenderness and affection that you and I are called to have for our children. 
We are called to, to love them and to shepherd them lovingly. J.C. Ryle in his little booklet entitled The Duties of Parents says this. He says, A minister may speak the truth as it is in Jesus clearly, forcibly, unanswerably, but if he does not speak it in love, few souls will be won. Just so you must set before your children their duty. Command, threaten, punish, reason, but if affection be wanting in your treatment, your labor will be all in vain. And the point that I really want to try to make here before I get too far off track is the fact that God has placed all parents in a position of authority. As those who are in authority, parents, I plead with you, I beg with you, act like those that are in authority. Lead your children. Don't let them say no to you. Don't put up with whining and complaining when you tell them to stop. Be the one in authority. Function in the role that God has put you in. Step up. Play the part. If you're a man, be the man. If you're the woman, understand that when your husband's not there, you are to hold your children to a position that they are under your authority. You need to lead your children. You need to instruct them. And we'll get to that as we go on. But parents aren't to let their children to stumble around aimlessly. You know, picture yourself walking in the jungle, if you would. And really what, what parents are to do is they are to be uh, this, this guide that is, is kind of leading their children through this jungle, this world that we live in. And you're the one who's got the machete out. And you're the one who's kind of blazing the trail and you're hacking the path through. And they are following you as you are leading them. That's the picture you should have as somebody in authority. You are leading. So lead. Don't give your child the machete and tell them to blaze the path for you. Blaze it. Do it. Lead. Show them. Show them how a Christian is to live. And again, whether you consider yourself a leader or not, whether you like being a leader or not, is irrelevant. It doesn't matter because if you are in the position of a parent, you are a leader. God has put you in a position to lead. So again, lead. Lead, govern. Show your children what it's like. But again, we need to make sure that we govern in accordance to the word of God, right? Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thus, if you are to effectively guide your children, you must begin by governing them in accordance to the word of God. You must understand the authority that God has given you, and you must seek to use that authority that will bring God glory. That is what you I've called to do, govern, lead, show your children that you are the one in authority, but do it in a way that will bring glory to God. Not this authoritative dictator, a loving shepherd. This is what God's word calls us to do. So having established the first essential action for biblical parenting, we're now ready to look at the second, which is the act of unveiling. Unveiling, again, just kind of follow along. It's going to spell guide at the end. So unveiling. This is something that is to be done in an effort to show children their need for salvation. And this, this is critical. This is something that we need to make sure that we do. Because it's going to be next to impossible for your children to be saved, to be found, 
unless they actually know that they're lost. Think of it like this. Let's just say that you take your family on a trip to Disneyland. And you go to Disneyland and you're having a great time, but you know what? It's one of those days that everybody and their mother's at Disneyland and it's just wall-to-wall people. And so you're at Disneyland and somehow you get separated from your child. You panic, you freak out, you start kind of going and finding anybody that you can to explain what your child's wearing. You give them all of the details that you possibly can so that your child can be found. Now, if your child doesn't realize they're lost, it's going to be a lot harder to find them. Right? I mean, if your child's just walking around Disneyland going, whoo, I lost my parents. I'm going to go around and I'm going to have, I'm going to go on any ride I want. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. This is cool. This is a good time. I'm just, and, and again, wall to wall people. Now, based on your description, the, the security might be able to find them. Probably the likelihood would be that of winning the lottery or something like that. But you get the point. If your child doesn't embrace the fact that they're lost at Disneyland, you're going to have a hard time finding them. But on the other hand, if your child understands they've been lost and they're sitting there at Disneyland and they start crying and they start weeping and they start calling out for you, it's a lot easier to find them. Right? Security is going to be able to see them a whole lot better than if they're just going around from ride to ride, whooping it up and having a good time. <laughs> Your children need to understand that they are desperately in need of a Savior. They need to grasp the fact that they're, they're lost. And the best place for a parent to go to uh, the Word of God to help them to be able to see this is Romans 3, 10 through 18 and verse 23. And I'm just taking a quick look there. These are, this is what the Word of God has to say. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, as we read these verses, I trust that all of us can clearly see that left to our own devices, we are in bad shape. This is the truth of mankind, and our children need to hear it. Now, again, I don't know if you need to go around telling your two-year-old that their throat is an open grave or that their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. You know, with younger children, you may not need to go there quite yet. But you can take them to verse 23, can't you? That everyone has sinned. And you can begin with yourself. You know what? Even mommy and daddy have sinned. And you know, that won't take a whole lot of convincing for them. (laughs) They're going to understand that. And they're going to realize that all of us have sinned. But as your child gets older, they need to hear the depth of their depravity. They need to hear truth spoken to them. They need to understand how lost they truly are. 
Now, I'm not going to give you an age as to when you should start sharing those other verses with them. You each know your children better than I do. You know what they're able to process and what they're able to take in. But I wouldn't wait until they're out of elementary school. They need to hear the truth. And they need to hear it early and often. Again, what you're trying to do is you're trying to help them to understand. You're trying to remove the blinders from their eyes. You're trying to unveil the mask that is getting in the way of them seeing their true condition. You need to help them to know that just because you or your spouse or Christians doesn't mean that they are. You're not born into this Christian thing. You may be born into a Christian family, but that does not make your child a Christian. You need to unveil their sin to them so that they can clearly see that they need our gracious Savior's help. That they need saving. If you and I are going to biblically guide our children, we must unveil their sin and help them to understand their need for Jesus. Now thus far, we've looked at the parents' need for governing and unveiling. So again, we already know the next one's going to start with an I. So we need to be able to instruct. So we're going to look at instructing. Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. You have your Bibles, just follow along. In Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, as we, you know, th- this is clearly one of the most straightforward commands offered to parents anywhere in the Bible. And this is what it says These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, these words in and of themselves are are very powerful. However, I believe they are even more powerful when we picture them in the context of the the Israelites at that time. I mean, take a moment to put yourself in the plains of of Moab. Imagine, if you would, the anticipation of, of finally settling down after having wandered around in the wilderness for, for some 40 years. Imagine the excitement that filled the air as they prepared to enter into this promised land that the Bible tells us was flowing with milk and honey. Imagine the, the, the absolute hush of the people as they strained to listen to their faithful leader, Moses, who knew that he would not be going with them, plead with them to remember the faithfulness of Yahweh. And with all that surrounds this great text, it's safe to say that this is perhaps the greatest and foremost commandment for parents everywhere. And it seems only fitting that it should ride right on the heels of the commandment that Jesus called the great and foremost commandment for everyone. Of the law, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And when we study this commandment, we find that instructing our children in accordance to the word of God is absolutely critical. Absolutely critical to our effectiveness. Failure to do this renders the rest of our parenting useless. Second Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The, li- the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God can do great things. But we need to instruct our children in it. We need to teach them. As we look back at Deuteronomy 6-7, we find the charge for parents to be teaching their children when you sit in your house, you walk by the way, you lie down, you rise up. I mean, think about that for a minute. 
Basically, what he's telling you is, guess what? Instruct your children all the time. All the time, be instructing your children. Be looking for those moments to teach them, to instruct them, to bring the Word of God to bear into their lives so that the Word of God can be unleashed and can do great things in our children. But you and I live in a society that makes that very difficult. You know, we have employers that demand more and more productivity with fewer resources. We have more distractions and more gadgets that pull away at us, pull away from us doing the things that are really important. We have so many things buzzing around us that it gets really hard to do this, to teach, to instruct. It's my concern that too many parents are relinquishing their God-given role of teaching their children, of being the primary spiritual providers for their children. They're almost relegating that to other people, to the church, to their children's Christian school, whatever it may be. Brothers and sisters, if we have children, we are to be the ones to teach them. Us parents are to be the ones to teach them. Yes, we can use the resources of the church. Yes, we can use the resources of the Christian school. But that is not to be the means that our children are taught solely. We... We, the parents, need to teach. We need to instruct. We need to bring the Word of God to bear. Many Christian parents live as modern-day atheists. They fail to properly build into the part of their child that will never die. And, And do you realize that, brothers and sisters? Your children have a soul. They have a soul that will live on for all of eternity. What are you doing to nurture that soul, to care for that soul, to instruct that soul? Think about that. Are you really going to hand that off to somebody else? Are you going to really trust that somebody else is going to care for the soul of your child to the degree that you would? Think about that. It was J.C. Ryle who wrote this. To pet and pamper and indulge your child as if this world was all he had to look to in this life, the only season for happiness. To do this is not true love, but cruelty. It is treating him like some beast of the earth, which is but one world to look to and nothing after death. It is hiding from him that grand truth which he ought to be made to learn from his very infancy, that the chief end of his life is is the salvation of his soul. If you were to be... A biblical parent, you need to instruct your child. You need to make it a priority to teach your child about the things of God. And remember, there's no set formula. I can't get up here and say, you know what, you do this, this, and this, and it's, it's all good. They'll come out perfect. They'll always obey you. They'll get saved. There's no formula. But again, hopefully these things can begin to guide us. They can begin to point us in the right direction. God God doesn't promise us that our kids will will be saved. He's a good God, though. And he does he does love to bless his children. And if we're faithful to do what he calls us to do, more times than not, he's going to save our children. He's going to open up their eyes and help them to see their need for them. But again, we have to teach. We have to instruct. We have to bring the Word of God to them 
all of the time. Whether they're young or old. You know, if you've got young children, creation testifies to God, does it not? If you've got young children and you go out on a walk, point out that beautiful flower and go in and smell it and talk about what a great creator we have and how he pays attention to, to things like, like a flower. If you see the sun setting and you see the beautiful colors across the sky, go to your children and point it out and, and, and talk about what a great God that he gives us this beauty to be able to take in. You're teaching right there. And you're using God's creation to do that. And you know, if you've got older children, they may not be impressed with the smell of a flower as much as a two-year-old. But you know what? Point it out anyway. But do other things. If your children, again, are older, read to them. Read to them books that have a, a spiritual emphasis. Ask them questions to see if they understand what's going on. But, but lead, teach, instruct. Men, you're the primary ones that are behind that. Do it. And if there's no man around, women, read, teach, instruct. Do what God calls you to do. But as parents, we have to pass on our faith. We have to proclaim the goodness of God. And we have to do that by instructing our children. And we're called to do this wherever we're at, all of the time. So having discussed the three, the first three essential actions for biblical parenting, namely governing, unveiling, and instructing, we're now ready to look at the essential action number four, which is disciplining. <laughs> this is... This is good times right here, disciplining. I mean, really, this is by far the, the worst part of parenting. It is the most unfun part of parenting. And yet, it is absolutely essential. You and I need to do this. If we truly love our children, we will discipline them. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say in regards to the importance of discipline. I mean, consider the following. Proverbs 3.12 says this, for whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Proverbs 19.18 says this, Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. Both of these verses stress the importance of, of disciplining our children. But we need to always remember that love, love for, their, for them, for their souls, is the very thing that is driving us to do this. Our children need to understand that we discipline them because we love them, because we want what's best for them. There are a variety of ways to discipline a child, but I'll stand before you this evening as one who unashamedly spanks. Not as much as I did when my children were younger. They're all quite a bit older now. Um, but we, we spanked. And that is something that, you know, is not looked at favorably within our society. So you have to ask yourself, what are you going to hold on to? What is your standard? What are you going to come back to to say, what is it that God calls me to do? Does God call me strictly to do the timeout chair? Or does he call me to do something a little... A little more drastic. 
You know, the Bible offers a lot of support for spanking. Consider these verses, Proverbs 13.24, He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs 22.15 says this, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Proverbs 29.15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. You know, there are a lot of different rods that can be used when administering a spanking. You know, the rod of choice at the Boldy household was a little plastic spatula. That's kind of what we used. The only side effects is our kids get a little freaked out when we're in the kitchen sometimes and they see the spatula. (laughs) But don't worry, we have one that's uh, set aside specifically for them so you don't ever have to worry about us using the spatula in the kitchen that would have been used on them. But you know... For us, we wanted to use an instrument of some sort just to not have it be our hand that was doing that. I don't think the Bible's clear one way or the other on that, but there is something to be said for physical discipline. And I think the key thing for you to find is to find something that's going to sting but isn't going to cause serious injury. Again, we're not trying to beat them like so many of the experts say we do with spanking. We are just trying to teach them. We are trying to show them that sin, as much as it promises a lot, it, it never delivers. It always comes with a price. And it's a price that hurts, or it should hurt. If your child's laughing at the end of a spanking, you might want to use something different. <laughs> spanking should hurt, but they should never, ever be done in anger. We should never spank our children in anger. If that's happening, then it's going to be hard for your child to understand that you're doing this out of love for them, out of concern for them. Your spankings, yes, they need to hurt, but they always need to be done in love and not in anger. You know, we use a process in in our house that is, is pretty simple. It starts off just sending the child to their room, And from there, we sit down with them, depending on what age they were at, and we would talk with them and ask them why they were there, because a lot of times kids don't understand, why am I in this room? Why am I about to experience pain? You know, and what we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that they understood what it was that was going on. And so we would ask them what they did and why they think they're in there. And that way it'd be very clear as to what was going on there. And then we would take them to the Word of God, and we would show them where they violated the Scriptures, you know, and, and really, in the beginning, it, it's mostly because they disobeyed. But as your children get older and older, you're going to have to deal with other hard issues. It's not going to just be about disobedience. You're going to have to deal with some of the hard issues that are, that are going on there. And, but once, they, once we take them to the Word of God and we bring the Word of God to bear into the situation, then we would, we would be able to have them pray to God for forgiveness, to ask God for forgiveness. If they're not able, then we would ask God for them. And then we would give them the spanking. And then immediately after that, we would hold them. And we would pray with them and pray for them. All to show them that we love them very much. And then after that, we would have them go and apologize to the individual that they offended. Most likely it was their siblings. And we would go in and and make everything right. And we would go through this process time and time 
and time again. For some of our kids, they got it a little bit more than others and they felt like it was never going to end. But you know what? That's part of the process. And parents, if I can tell you anything, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. There may be days where you just feel like that's all that you're doing. And it may be. But again, you're trying to teach in love that sin, sin is serious. God hates it. It's so serious that Jesus needed to die on the cross. And we need to help our kids not to toy around with it. Spanking can be a very effective tool if it's used properly. If you have younger children, use it often. And as your children get older, start pulling away from that. But use it often to instill that truth in them. All right, all of which brings us to our last point, point number five, the E, so that we can finish off our spelling of guide, is the act of exemplifying. Exemplifying. A gentleman by the name of Archbishop Tilliston once said this. He said, To give children good instruction and a bad example is but beckoning to them with the head to show them the way to heaven while we take them by the hand and lead them in the way to hell. And that is one of my favorite quotes as a parent because it just brings it back to our example is critical. You could be speaking truth to your children all day long. But if you don't exemplify what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you are speaking to their, their heads about how to be a Christian, but you are all the while leading them by the hand to the way of hell. That is a great picture for us to consider. Children learn so much from what we do, more so than just what we say. And we need to make sure that we are lining up so that the words that come out of our mouth are in line with the actions that flow out of our lives. And really, this comes down to our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you will never, ever be able to live your life according to God's Word, nor will you ever be able to be the kind of parent that your child needs you to be. Romans 8, 6 through 8 says this, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot, cannot please God. Anyone who is outside of Christ is actually hostile to God and thus unable to please God. And yet many try in vain to raise their children according to the standard that they are not willing to follow themselves. Think about the hypocrisy of that. You're trying to force your children to live a life that you are not willing to live yourself. How hypocritical is that? And you don't think your children are going to see that? You don't think they're going to see the difference between what you are telling them they should do and how you're actually living? Brothers and sisters, we have to exemplify this Christian life. We have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is so vital, so vibrant, that it spills over into everything that we do so that our children see Christ in us and are actually drawn to Him rather than driven away from Him. We need to love Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need to be a a good example to our children We need to show them how to live the Christian life. As parents, you and I are to become like the psalmist. 
when he wrote in Psalm 119, 15 through 16, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. We need to be parents that just dwell on the word of God continually, that are constantly taking it in, that are filling our minds with it so that we can bring it to our children. We need to know the word of God. It needs to flow out of us. It needs to be our lifeblood. So again, how are you doing there, parent? What kind of example are you being? Are you being a good example? Are you exemplifying what it means to walk with Jesus Christ? Having God's word on your heart is critical to your task as a parent. But even greater than that is having a walk with God, having a relationship with God, trusting in the work and person of Jesus Christ. Well, this evening I've had the privilege of sharing five essential actions to being a a biblical parent, and it's my prayer that these five actions will help you to be a more effective guide. Those five actions, again, were governing, unveiling, instructing, disciplining, and exemplifying. And, you know, parenting, it is, a, it is a glorious task. It stretches us in ways that uh, I'm sure none of us ever thought we would be stretched. But, you know, God uses it to reveal much about us. It reveals our, our selfishness, our pride. In essence, it reveals our depravity if we're willing to look hard enough. And yet through all of that, God gives us the ability to be parents so that we might better understand Him. You know, when I became a parent, I was able to better understand some great truths like Romans 8, 38 through 39, where it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing, and I'm sure if you're a parent you can attest to this, there is nothing that any of my three children could ever do to take away the love that I have for them. Now again, when I say that, I'm not saying that they've never disappointed me or that they've never made me sad with some of the choices that they've made, because they have. But what I am saying is, despite all of that, nothing will take away the love that I have for them. And that's true of God with us. He loves us. Even when we mess up. Even when we blow it. Even when we stumble. He watches over us. He protects us. He loves us. And nothing can ever separate us from that love. It's been as a parent that I've gained a deeper understanding of just how foolish my sin can be as I've watched my kids do some pretty silly things. You know, you ever have those moments where as a parent you're just sitting there going, what in the world were you thinking? And you thought that was going to be a good idea? And yet, how many times has God been able to say that to us? Brock, what were you thinking? You thought that was good? God is indeed good. And in parenthood, he teaches us much. 
And I hope that this little acrostic will stick with you, will help you to be a more effective guide to your children, will be able to challenge you to parent biblically in accordance to this book, the book that teaches us so much.